Anybody love the Word of God? I got, I got a word for you, and uh, I'm, I'm going to skip ahead. I want you to go all the way. Uh, I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. It says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Ephesians is a letter from Paul to the church at Ephesus, and he is really giving us the blueprint and the parameters of the church of Jesus Christ. If you want to know what the church is, you need to go backwards, and you need to look at the history books, and you need to look at the early church and what was valued then. We don't find out about how to do church by looking at our current culture. If you look at the current culture, you will lead and build incorrectly. You look at what and how the church is built by looking backwards on how Jesus planted it and how he birthed it. Ephesians is a letter to the church at Ephesus that begins to unwrap how we should build, how we should work in the church of Jesus Christ. I want you to know this. We've been in this series, Build His House, and I want you to know this, that God is building his church. This is encouraging. God's building his church. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus is building his church. The one thing that the Bible says that Jesus is building is the church of Jesus Christ. I think if Jesus is building it, it's probably a good idea for us to build it. And I found this to be true. If I build his house, then he'll be faithful to build. When I focus on building my house, it puts me out of order and it gets me out of the perfect plan that God has for me. This is what the Bible says. We started the series with this. When, when Peter identified that Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus says, you are, he identified him, he says, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, people get excited about that. It's like, oh man, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I want to tell you something. You are the church of Jesus Christ. If Jesus is building his church and you are the church, this is good news, the gates of hell will not prevail against what? Against me? You're the church. Jesus is building you as the church, building us into the church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm going to give you some good news. It's good news and bad news. All right, just mixed into one, usually how it works. In the kingdom of God, there has never been a move of God. There's never been a revival. There's never been mass advancement of the gospel without persecution. So whenever there's opposition, persecution, people that stand against, lie about, or rail against the move of God, get ready because God's about to do something bigger and better and in, 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 in an accelerated way than you've ever seen before. You can look back in the early church. The early church did not grow when there was peace. The early church grew when there was war, when there was persecution. You can look at every great move of God. The move of God was birthed out of trouble. 
It was birthed out of trial. It might be while some of the scriptures speak of getting excited or even, even, even uh, looking at trials with joy because there is something that happens in persecution. There's something that happens in hardship. God has an opportunity to show up. And I want you to know in our current culture, God is building his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. How is he building it? He's building it by building you. You are his church. I am his church. We are the church of Jesus Christ. And we all play a part. Uh, growing up, my, I got an incredible family. Mom and dad, we grew up uh, in the ministry. And uh, we grew up uh, not with a lot of money, but my mom and dad made a priority that every single year we take a family vacation. That was like the Bates family goes on summer vacation. I mean, it was just, it might not be very nice, but we're going somewhere. You know, it might be a road trip and staying on the road. In the, but, but we're going on vacation, and uh, they always made it a good time, and, and uh, inevitably, it seems like if we went on vacation, we'd be sitting around doing a puzzle. I don't know if any of you guys enjoy puzzles. That's not my top form of entertainment. Um, you know, now we got iPads and iPhones and all kinds of electronics. Back, you know, back in the day, you had to get creative. We'd do puzzles, and it seemed like more often than not, you would put together the puzzle, and when you get to the very end, everyone's excited, and there would be, there'd be one one piece missing. You ever had this happen? One piece missing. You can't complete it. It's just, and I have, I have, I have some OCD tendencies. And, and one piece missing, it's, it's just, you might as well throw the whole thing away. I'm just like, why would you build the puzzle with one piece missing? And then I thought about this, actually, this morning. Have you ever thought about this? Why is there never two pieces missing? I, I've, never made a, I've never put together a puzzle, and it's like, oh my gosh, seven pieces missing. It's one. It's always one. There's no meaning in that. I just thought it was crazy. It's always one. You know, when, when, when the, the designer of the puzzle puts the puzzle together, he has a specific purpose for each piece of the puzzle. And the only way that the puzzle is accurately put together if every piece is in place. When every piece is in position, then the puzzle is complete. I want you to know that the church of Jesus Christ, the architect is the Holy Spirit. And as he puts the puzzle together of the church, every person is a piece in the puzzle. Every person has a position or a purpose that they fulfill. You, you, you can't have one piece missing and then just like manipulate the puzzle to make it complete. It is incomplete if one piece is missing. Now, this is a crazy thing. Now, just get ready, okay, because some, the other service took this a little hard. But I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest with you, all right? The, the piece of the puzzle that's missing from the church of Jesus Christ could possibly be, possibly be the person you most detest, because when we think of the context of the church, we think about all of our buddies right here. But the context of the architect, the Holy Spirit, when he talks about the church, he's talking about you, he's talking about me, but he's also talking about that neighbor you can't stand. He's also talking about your boss. He's, almost, he's also talking about that person that wrongs you or that hurts you. They are a piece in the puzzle. So this tells me this, that the puzzle is not complete until they are in position. It's not just even about me being in position, but this is where evangelism comes in the church of Jesus Christ, is I've got to understand that God has a plan for even pieces that are not in this room. And I know what you're talking about. I know a couple pieces. No, I mean like a puzzle piece. A puzzle piece 
The, 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 the picture is not complete until each piece of the puzzle is in place. For generations upon generations upon generations, Jesus is building his church and he's seeking to save that which is lost. Which is lost. It changes everything about how we do church when we realize that the purpose of the church is this. This church is a couple pieces of the overall masterpiece that God is building. And, and your barista is a piece. And, 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 and your employer is a piece. And, and your kids are pieces of the puzzle that God is building, that God is putting together. You know what some people say to me? They say, Pastor, I think the church has gotten about big enough. I'm like, what, what Bible have you been reading lately? What should we do? Should we put a sign on the, honestly, should we put a sign on the door? Say, we have as many pieces as we can handle. Uh, the other pieces don't want any more pieces because it makes these pieces feel uncomfortable to add more pieces. But the puzzle's not done. It's not too big. We do not measure by how many people we have in the seats, to play on word. We measure by the need in the streets. You never measure by what a room can hold. You always measure the need in the city that you occupy. If there's still need, if there's still lost people, if there's still people far from God, friends, we've got to build, and we've got to build his house. We've got to build this puzzle. We've got to build the masterpiece that is the church of Jesus Christ. In verse 19 of our text, it says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I want you to know something. You are a part of God's family. When you walked into church, you are part of God's family. I'm just going to help some of you to say, well, I, I can have church all by myself. No, you can't. No, you can't. Stop that. It's heresy. You can't have church by yourself. You can know Jesus by yourself. You can pray. You can encounter God. But church is together. I can worship God on my own. I can worship God in my car. I can worship God in the mountains and the valleys. I can worship God with or without you. But when we come together as the church, it's when we worship together. And God's plan is that the people of God do things together. Read the book of Acts. They were all together in one accord. They were in unity. They came together and they worshiped. You are a part of God's family, as dysfunctional as it is. We are a part of God's family. This, this, is, this is crazy, is that the things that you think disqualify you do not disqualify you from citizenship in the family of God. When you say yes to Jesus, this is the power of the blood of Jesus, that when Jesus died on the cross over 2,000 years ago, he paid the price to cover anything that would separate you from being a part of his family. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, one chapter before our text, in chapter 2, verse 13, it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of of Christ. I would say the church is not a brand, it's not a building, it's not a denomination. The church of Jesus Christ is his family. It's, it's people that say yes to Jesus. People get all bent out of shape about different denominations or, or different followings or, or different. We are the family. The church, church 1132 is not the church of Jesus Christ. 
We're just part of the family. We're the crazy uncle of the family, all right? It's like everyone got the crazy uncle. We want to be the crazy uncle. I'm not, I'm not being like boring Aunt Nancy or like, we're going to be the crazy uncle. If, if we, we are part of the family of God. We are the representation of Jesus on the earth. When the world looks at you, they should see Jesus. When, when the world looks at me, they should see him. That's what the church should be. It should be the direct representation of Jesus on the earth. Verse 20, it said, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now, I want you to tell you something. This is where we get the pattern for the church of Jesus Christ. When it says being built on the teaching of the apostles and prophets, it was the revelation of the gospel given to the apostles and prophets, demonstrated or written through the New Testament. When you read the New Testament, that is the revelation of the church of Jesus Christ built on the apostles and prophets, built on the chief cornerstone, which is Jesus. When they built buildings, the cornerstone would be the stone that, they, that was on the corner. That's good. It's the cornerstone. It would set the parameter and the pattern for the house. It was what held everything together. If we're building on anything other than Jesus, we are out of order. If we're building on anything other than him, we are building incorrectly. This church has to point to Jesus. It can't point to a brand. It can't point to a cause. It can't point to a dream center. It can't point to an issue. It can't point to a person. It can't point to a state. It has to point to Jesus. If we're building correctly, it has to point to him. It has to honor him. It has to glorify him. In fact, your Bible says that if Jesus is lifted up, he would draw all pieces unto him. This is the job of the church is to lift him up, built on the foundation, the foundation. The early church served all kinds of purposes, but here's some main purposes. The early church was about connection to God and connection to each other. It was about commitment to God and commitment to each other. The early church, you see it all throughout the gospel, throughout the, early, the, the epistles and the book of Acts, they were connection with God and each other and commitment to God and to each other. When, when I was in about Seventh grade, eighth grade, uh, I, was, uh, I decided to do cross country, run cross country. I didn't have a good reason to run it because I hated to run. The reason I ran it was because a certain girl at the school, she was doing cross country, and cross country was co-ed. Just being honest, okay? The church, you should be able to be honest, I'm just telling you. And so I actually hated running. Um, but I would go, and um, I almost said her name in the first service, but I didn't want you to look her up or anything. And... Um, she, uh, she was there, I'm there, and, and we're at cross country and we're running. And, and I found this, like, I didn't pay attention much in cross country. I'm just there, you know, and uh, hanging out. And so race day comes, and on race day, they would have these people that would help, like, direct you. And so they'd, like, have the race through parks or whatever. I don't know if they all do that all the time, but for, maybe it was special help needed for me. They're like, come on, Dustin. But there would be a couple different people. One is there would be paths that you're not supposed to go on. And they would have people stationed there to make sure that they correct you if you went there. Say, this is not the right way. This is not the course. Turn around and go the other way. Correction. They'd have other people that were there where you're supposed to go. And they would wave you on. This is it. Let's go. 
keep running. I'm like, oh, I hate running. Come on. And then they would have people that would encourage you. This is like my mom, like speaking in tongues out loud. I'm in seventh grade cross country. I'm like, mom, I'm going to lose anyways, even with supernatural strength. Stop that. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm running, you know, and she's there, come on, you can do it, Gatorade and everything. And correction, direction, and encouragement. I'm going to tell you what the church of Jesus Christ is. The church of Jesus Christ, as you run the race of life, should be, first of all, correction. This is to help you course correct when you're headed towards destruction. Did you know that this is culturally very unpopular right now? Like, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? You're doing great. Keep running. It's a cliff. Don't worry about it. Do you. Find your truth. Gravity doesn't exist. Fly, baby. Fly. I I feel like pastoring 20 years ago would have been easier than it is in 2021. Like, hey, if you keep doing this, you're going to run off a cliff. You're so controlling. <laughs> Blog about it, post about it. Are you serious? The church of Jesus Christ was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets who corrected the people so they could course correct out of love so that they could accomplish what God put in their heart to accomplish. If you're going to be a part of building his house, you also have to be committed to receiving correction. One of the most unpopular messages of 2021. You have to receive Christ. It's true. Did you know that I am submitted not only to our board of directors, but to specific pastors in my life that my life is submitted to, that I ask them for advice, that they ask me how I'm doing in my purity, how I'm doing financially, how I'm doing emotionally, how I'm doing as a husband, how I'm doing as a father. They're in my business because true love corrects. The church exists to help us course correct to get into the best that God has for us. It also directs. Direction is this. You're on the right path, but you need to make a turn. Hey, if you want to get to your goal, go ahead and just turn right here. Just follow that path. You're doing great. Keep going. People have a problem with that. They want to build this house. They want to be a part of the family, but they have a problem with direction. If you can't receive direction... Actually, let me just say it this way. It's probably not right to say it this way. but say, Why do people come to church and they don't want this stuff? For real, the least invested, I shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyways. The least invested people, the people that serve the least and give the least, want to control the most. You're, you're the least invested. And you want, why do you even come? I gotta stop that whisper thing. It's like the Biden whisper thing. It's like really weird. I gotta, I gotta stop that. The, oh, oh man, that's that's hard to come back from. Correction, direction, and this is a really important part: inspiration or encouragement. Do what the church exists to do. It it exists to correct you, to direct you for your good, for your own good. You know, I I didn't see anybody on the race, like, looking for me and being like, let's make this guy lose. (laughs) Hey, this is the wrong way. Turn around. He's not trying to make me lose. He's trying to help me. He's trying to help me. Did you know correction is not bad? Correction is helpful. 
Especially if you're trying to get somewhere. If you're trying to make something of your life. You need correction, direction. But you're going to also need encouragement. This is where the family of God comes in. We've got to encourage one another. We should not be tearing each other down or trying to find each other's faults. We should be each other's biggest cheerleaders, biggest fans, people that celebrate one another, that champion one another. We should champion other churches. We should champion other ministries because in the body of Christ, in this family, it shouldn't be about competition. It should be about partnership. It should be about moving together towards one goal. Correction and direction and inspiration. Do you know how you see something determines how you interact with it? If you see the church as a spiritual vending machine, you'll only come and try to get out what you want from it. But if you see your church as a family, if you see your church as something that Jesus is building, if you see the church of Jesus Christ as it is, it'll change the way that you interact with it. The church is an experience, not an exhibit. That means it's something I'm a part of, not something that I watch. The church is a battleship, not a cruise ship, which means it's prepared for war, not for vacation. I just want to come and just relax. This is, not, this, is not the, this is not the right church. We're the crazy uncle, okay? We're the battleship. I'm sure there's a cruise ship church out there somewhere. This one's not it. Okay, and I, I'm not trying to like tell people not to come to church, but I'd like to make the expectations really clear. This is a battleship. So if you want to go to battle, this is the one you want to be on. If you want to cruise, you're going to be uncomfortable. Pastor, will you change it from a cr- battleship to a cruise ship? No. Go to a different church. It's like, we're, we're not changing. This is who we are. This is who we are. Will you turn it down a little bit? No. We will not turn it down a little bit. We've done, we've done tons of research and study how the optimum volume in a room for you to feel comfortable and to worship God and for to have quality sound is what we have it at. Did you do the study? No, you just came in and you've been in your grandparents' church and you think it's different and so it's wrong. That's preference. This isn't a vending machine. This is a battleship. We came in to pray. We came in to worship. We came in to war. This is not about what I want. This is about moving us forward. The church is a hospital, not a country club. That means it's a safe place for broken people. It's a safe place for people to make mistakes. It's a safe place for people to fail. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 it says, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also are like living stones. And you're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are a living piece of the puzzle. You're a part of the puzzle. And he's building us together. He's bringing us together to form something beautiful that brings honor to God. Verse 22 in the message translation of our text, it says, We see it taking shape day after day. A holy temple built by God. All of us built into it. A temple in which God is quite at home. Oh, that, that struck me this week. I want to be a church where God is at home. It's a place where God's, not a visitation, it's a place where he habitates, it's a habitation. It's this, this is the place where God lives. He lives in me and he lives in you and we come together. People sense his power and they sense his presence. This is a battleship. This, this is a hospital. 
for broken people. This is not, this is not where pe perfect people come. People, people try to say all kinds of things about, well, people at that church or people at that church. Are you kidding me? You're going to find that anywhere. I was invited to go to church one time, and maybe you've heard this one before. Pastors used to say this all the time, and I, I tried it. That guy was trying to, he wanted to come to church, and I've invited him, and he goes, I'm not coming to your church. There's a bunch of hypocrites there. And I was like, man, what's one more? Come on. Because we, we've, 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 been, we've been conditioned to come with our best into this family. But I'm going to tell you, if it's family business, you can let the walls down a little bit. There's a story in, in uh, the book of John chapter 8 about the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. And uh, maybe you're familiar with this passage, but the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they caught this woman in the act of adultery. And religious Jewish law at that time was that if you were caught doing that or you've done that and confirmed that you did that, that you would be stoned to death. So they brought this woman and they threw her at the feet of Jesus. They had caught her in the act of adultery. And I'm just going to tell you, if you put this in 2021 scenario, if you thought about it long enough, you could see how we could do this as a church really easily. Some of the messes up, some of the sins, some of the does something that should disqualify them. All of a sudden now we throw at the feet of Jesus. What are you going to do? And I think they fully expected Jesus to get on their side and be like, look at this woman. This is wrong. Uphold the law. And Jesus, the Bible says, he got down in the dirt with her. Which I like to think about it like this. He got on her level. See, Jesus is never above looking down in some condescending, sending, judging way. He's on your level. He's on your level. You know where the religious leaders were? Standing above, looking down. It says Jesus got down on one knee. He started drawing in the dirt. Theologians argue about what he was writing in the dirt. <laughs> I really wonder what he was writing. Every, every thought I've heard from smart people sounds a little stupid to me. But um, it's like some, one theologian believed he was writing their sins down. It's like, her name was Wanda. <laughs> you know, 2018. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't know what he was doing. I don't think he was really doing that. Some people think he was just like doodling. I can't really see Jesus doing that either. He's just like... So I don't know what he was writing, but I know he was on her level. And there was people there that wanted her killed and judged. And Jesus says these famous words. He says, whoever has no sin, tell him to throw the first stone. It, it's, it's the great equalizer. Because we put these like variables on what, for most of us, if our sin was far enough in the past, we're okay and we're better than you. We could have done the same thing you did, but because you did it today, and I did it seven years ago, then, like, you're worse than me. Jesus says, hey, if any of you have no sin, just go ahead and start throwing rocks. And the Bible says from the oldest to the youngest, they begin to leave. Some theologians believe they left in shame, like embarrassed, like hustled off. Because maybe Jesus knew their sin or knew what was going on in their heart. Can I just tell you, when we're building his house, it's important that we build correctly. It's really important that we get this idea through our minds is that I've got issues, and you've got issues, we all got issues, and we all need Jesus. There's this little scripture that you've heard, you probably saw it on Pinterest a couple times, for all have sinned and fall short. All in every language means all. We all fall short of the glory of God. That means for me and for you, we need a Savior. 
and his name is Jesus. I'm going to tell you three things, three things and we're done that are so simple that I, almost, I deleted them twice off my notes. And I said, no, I'm going to declare this over everybody as we close. Number one is you are loved. You're loved. You're part of the family of God. You didn't, you're not a reject. You didn't just barely get in. You didn't sneak into the family tree. You're loved by God. You're loved by God. Well, you, you don't know. He, he knows. He knows. And he still loves you. And that's the second one, is you're forgiven. You are loved and you are forgiven. Do you know that changes everything about how you worship God? Knowing that he loves me and that some of us, we, call, we walk into church and our heads are hanging low. And we're like, oh man, it's been, it's been one of those weekends. He already knows. And he loves you and he forgives you. Okay. You know what's interesting about Jesus? He showed this woman love and forgiveness, but he didn't relax the standard. That's interesting, isn't it? Because some of us think that love and grace means do whatever you want. It's okay. He says, you're loved, you're forgiven. He says, go and sin no more. He says, don't, don't, don't do this anymore. Go and sin no more. He loves us, he forgives us, but he upholds the standard. That's this righteous judge. It's so beautiful. And this is the last one. You're needed. You're loved. Right, the simplest message of 2021. You're loved, you're forgiven, and you're needed. Well, I don't know if my gifts mean anything. No, you're a piece of the puzzle. If we don't have you, this thing's incomplete. Well, all I do is show up and worship and, and no, we need you. We need, you're a part of what God is doing. Can I just, can I just declare this over you? I want, I want you just to, to hear this. Is that I believe this. I believe that if you can get your identity with God straight, that God could use you to make a difference in your world like you've never seen before. I don't care how many mistakes you've made. I don't care how many chances you've missed. I want you to know this. You're loved, you're forgiven, and you're needed. That God sees you. He's got a plan for you. And I'm telling you, it's not by accident that you showed up today, but it's by divine appointment. God knew you needed to be in the room. God knew you needed to be in the service. And he said, I'm going to arrange this just for you because you need to know. Some of you theologians, you need to know you're actually loved. You're telling everybody else they're loved, but you don't feel loved. You're telling everybody else they're forgiven, but you haven't received the forgiveness of God. You're forgiven. It's over. Whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. Why did Paul say, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what, straining towards what is ahead? I'm loved, I'm forgiven, and you're needed. I just want to say, as your pastor, we need you. We need you more than ever before to be the representation of Jesus. Well, what am I supposed to do? Well, you can serve and you can lead groups and you can all of that. But it, more than anything, you've got to be one of these living stones being built into a reflection of Jesus. That when the world sees you and your work sees you and your boss sees you and your kids see you, that they see Jesus. I don't know. What does that look like? Just go read the New Testament. And you're going to find out what it looks like. It's very different than what our culture says. It has stuff like love your enemies and bless those who persecute you. Like give and it will be given back unto you. Show mercy. It's just over and over. It's over. Romans chapter 12, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. We just start reading. How do I be a reflection? I just get in this word and I read it. 
and I apply it, and I know I'm loved, I know that I'm forgiven, I know that I'm needed, what, what am I needing to do? Really the purpose, all of mankind is chasing after to figure out why am I here, what, where does my peace go, you're going to figure it out, but until then just keep on reflecting Jesus and see what God does when you begin to build his house and see if he doesn't begin to build yours.